Commandments 1 in Exodus chapter 20 and go through to 17. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And this is the word of God. Well, good afternoon. Good to have you here. My name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors. Um, let's, uh, let's pray and look at the book of Exodus together. Father, we do want to thank you that your word is true, that it's living and active, that you speak to us and you dress us uh, now where we're at. I want to pray for, uh, that we'd be able to steal our hearts and minds. We could listen to you and uh, quieten down all the worries and stresses that are about to hit us as we face another week. We're going to pray that today would not be just another, another sermon we listen to or just another Bible reading, but we would actually hear you, the creator of the universe, speak to us and address our hearts and minds. Thank you that you are here by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would just uh, help us to learn more about you and love you more, all in Jesus' name. Amen. That is so bright. Just can you close it back to I'm fucking seeing the angels back there or something. I can't even see a thing. Anyway. Uh, there we go, John has got it for me. Uh, well, uh, I've been a parent now for uh, over 10 years, and uh, my experience of being a parent is that as my kids have gotten older, it hasn't gotten any easier for them to obey. You might think after years of parenting, the same children, day in, day out, same routine, same strategies, that they would want to joyfully follow Katie and I, and we ask them to do something. You might sit there and say, yeah, you know, yes, most wonderful father, it is my pleasure and delight to obey what you have asked me to do because you are so wise and kind. That does not happen. Um, they continue to push back on the rules and the boundaries my wife and I set for them all the time. Um, and don't hit me wrong, my kids are beautiful. Uh, they are quite well behaved, but they want to push back as kids and know where the rules are. I've mentioned this before, but most nights at my house, probably around 5.30, 6 o'clock, around shower time, we experience this. No, none of my kids want to go first when it goes to having a shower. So what we have to do, we have a, we have a shower roster in our house. That you just point to the wall and say, it's your turn, you're up, it's your turn. I tell you, I have to work it. It's gone to that. 
And, uh, and when we point to that wall, negotiation breaks out straight away. I went first last night. Do I have to have a shower? Not yet, Dad. Give me five minutes. Every night, same thing. Week in, week out, day in, day out. Not keen for a shower. Then finally you get someone into the shower and they play the game where they have a shower for like 45 minutes. And you can't get them out. And then everyone's like, get out of the shower. And it's just like every, every night this happens, you can't get them out. But I remember just the, uh, when I was a kid, I was just the same. I hated having showers. Most nights when mum told me to have a shower, I firstly have selective hearing, just pretend I didn't hear her, and then hope that it would all go away. And then my next line of defense was negotiation. I would pretend I was really tired. I'd yawn. I'd just sort of shuffle out and say, do I have to have a shower tonight? And then, you know, hopefully she would have said, you can just go and wash your hands and, you know, have it, go to bed, which is always great to avoid the showers. But like my kids, I wasn't great at obeying. And I'm sure if you think back to your own childhood, you were the same way. that We don't often do great at obeying our parents. And I think as, we, as we've gone to adulthood, uh, not a lot has changed. I like showers now. That's changed at least for me. Um, but we still have this resistance to obeying. We don't like to be told what to do, how to live, what we can and can't do. We find it hard to obey rules and laws and standards, even keep our own standards. We like to push back, to test the limits, test the boundaries. That's who we are. We decide what, what we think is best for us, and no one else has the right to tell me how to live or what to do ever. I'm in charge. I get to tell me what I want to do. And I'm like this, right? Whenever I see a sign or a rule or whatever it is on the wall somewhere, my first reaction is to say, that doesn't apply to me. Or, I don't think that's me. I can prove this wrong. I'm the ex- exception to that rule. And we want to show that I, I, I can break that rule, I can push that boundary, I can test that law. There's something in us where we, we, want, we want to rebel, we don't want to be told what to do, and we know what's best for us and no one can tell us how to live. And I wonder when, when it comes to this idea of rebelling and pushing the boundaries and not obeying, I wonder if it comes down to really two things. It comes down to the per, first the person who is setting the boundary and telling us what to do. Do we trust them? Do we know them? And secondly, do we believe these rules are for my good and flourishing? Is it a good thing for me to obey? And I think if we can answer those two questions, I think obedience becomes so much easier. Think about for a second being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, right? To be a Christian means to be a follower of Jesus, to submit and to live under His good rule, under His lordship. So it means to be a follower of Jesus. He calls us to follow, to submit to Him. And being a follower of Jesus means humility, right? It means to say to Jesus, you're the king, I'm not. You're the ruler, I'm not. You're in charge, I'm not. And we see very clearly from the Bible that Jesus calls His people to follow. Follow Him, be like Him. But following in obedience is really hard and it goes against everything in us. I think one of the reasons we find it hard to obey God is because often we forget who he is and what he is like. And we forget that his lordship and his rule is for our good and for our joy. And today I want to show you through the book of Exodus, through Exodus 20, these famous Ten Commandments, to see who God is, what he is like, and to see that his rule is for our flourishing and for our good. So I'm going to show you today through the book of Exodus and these Ten Commandments. But here's what I'm going to head today as we look through uh, these this chapter, here's some observations I'm going to make as we go through. The first one is obeying out of identity, obeying it for God's glory and our joy. Then Jesus is our model, the power, and the Savior. So if you want to follow along or take notes, that's where I'm going to head to. 
today as we look at Exodus 20. So, just to remember where we are, a bit of a recap. The book of Exodus has uh, you know, 40 chapters, two halves in it. We've gone to the first half. And the first half is really all about, about God setting his people free from slavery and showing his people that he alone is the powerful Lord. And he is stronger than Pharaoh and, and stronger than all the army of Egypt, the Egyptian army. And he sets his people free. And he alone is the Lord. And he rescues them. He calls, them my, uh, he calls his people his treasured possession. Uh, and he calls them to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Their role now as free people is to represent him to the world and show the world there's a better way to live, living under God's kingship. And the second half of the book really now is showing Israel how to live out their freedom, how to be God's saved people. And God will go through specifically what that will look like to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so we come now then to the famous Ten Commandments. That's the context of coming in to Ten Commandments. So let's have a look at chapter 20, sentences 1 and 2. And it starts with this. It says this. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. As I said, God's about to give these Ten Commandments. He's about to set out over 600 laws from, Genesis, uh, from Exodus right through to Deuteronomy. 600 different laws. How the people are to live and how they are to, uh, how to, to see him as their ruler. So the first words out of his mouth are important. And see what he says here. He starts by reminding them of who he is. The one giving the commands. He says, I am the Lord, he says. I am the only Lord. There is none beside me. He spent the first half of the book showing the Israelites who he is. His power. His might. Showing that he's unrivaled. He's unequaled. There is no one like him. He alone is the powerful king. So therefore, that's his credentials to be able to speak into the lives of the, of the Israelites. He alone is the Lord of all, the creator, the king. And also, he is Israel's God. He says, I'm the Lord, your God, he says. He's the Lord over Israel. God has redeemed and purchased these people as his own. They are his. He has all authority over them because he's their God. He's the one who has loved them, who has set them free, who cares for them so much, he calls them his treasured possession. And you can see what's happening here. Before he gives a command of how, how to live like him and how to, how to follow him, he wants to remind the Israelites of who he is. Now God could have said at the start here, I'm the Lord your God, I'm the King, I'm the Creator, so obey me. You must follow me. Follow me or die. He doesn't do that. He reminds them of who he is, his power and his authority. He reminds them of his love for them. And then he says, now follow me. That's who he is. He reminds me of his character and his love and his care for Israel. I wonder if you think back to school, and you can think back to a teacher that you uh, were really impacted by, you really liked. I had a teacher in year two. Her name was Miss John Tolovich. And uh, I didn't love school growing up. I was one of those kids who, when you, you know, mum dropped you off at school or your dad, um, that uh, I didn't want to go to school. I was always the kid uh, crying and clinging to my mum's legs, like, don't leave me. I was one of those kids, right? The other day, I was at school dropping my kids off, and there was a kindergarten kid clinging to their mum's legs, screaming. I'm like, I looked at the kids and said, I get you. I feel you. Where you I feel what's going on for you. Hang in there, buddy. We're okay. You can do this. Um, anyway, I got, um, got Misty and John Tolovich in year two, and school was so much better. She was so kind and so nice and so caring. I can remember even one day turning up to class, and she wasn't there, and I started crying because I just missed her so much. 
And then in year two, I got pneumonia in year two, and I was off school for ages. And so I was at home making a card for her, telling her that I missed her. Some person said this morning, you had a crush on her. I'm like, no, I didn't. I was year two. Anyway, whatever. Um, I just really liked her. Anyway, she's the sort of teacher, Mr. Ontology, was the sort of teacher that you knew really cared about you. And so the way that she had the classroom, the rules, the, the structure she put in, you'd follow because you knew that she cared for you and she had your best interest, interest at heart and she wanted you to grow as a student. So you wanted to follow her because you knew she cared. You'd want to listen. And obeying her was easy. Now, God wants Israel to know that he is not like Pharaoh. He is not enslaving them. He's not going to beat them into submission. He wants them to obey out of who they are and who he is. They are his treasured possession. That he is the, he is the Lord who is wise, who is worthy and deserving of obedience. He's one who cares for them and loves them and set them free from slavery. And so he is worth listening to because he wants their best. And so he wants them to be motivated to follow out of that he is the Lord and, he is the, and they are his treasured possession. As I said earlier, I think when it comes to obeying and following uh, what God calls us to do and to be, we need to have the question of, who is God? Does he have any authority over my life? What is he like? Is he saying these things for my good? This is what God is establishing here for the Israelites straight up. That he has all authority as creator. He has made the world, how it functions, how it works. And he loves these people. He loves these people so much, he sent his son into the world to rescue humanity. He cannot love us anymore, and he showed this. So I think it's so important to remember, as we live out being followers of Jesus, who God is, what is he like? Remember that as we obey him. Before God calls Israel to obey, he reminds them of who he is. They are his treasured possession, and they have to follow out of that. They've been set free to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so now God has established that. He will lay out what it looks like for them to follow. And these are what the Ten Commandments are. They are Ten Commandments about God's glory and for our joy. Now remember, it's super important. These Ten Commandments aren't God saying, here's what you have to be like to be accepted. Here's what you have to be like to meet my standards. No, they are already God's people. He's saying these are the Ten Commandments to know how to live out being my people. These Ten Commandments are actually how Israel were to flourish and to live like God intended. So let's have a look at them. On the screen behind me, I'm going to read this out again, what Jez read for us before. And you can hear these Ten Commandments here. It says this, You shall have no other gods before me. That's Commandment 1. Commandment 2. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or a likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to, to them or to serve them, for I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of, of those who love me and have kept my commandments. You should not take the, Lord, the, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not uh, hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to, uh, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land, and the Lord your God has given you. You should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
You should not cover your neighbor's house. You should not cover your neighbor's wife or male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So there's the Ten Commandments. And this is like this constitution he sets up for Israel. Let me just summarize them here for you on the screen here, really simply. No other God before me. Don't make an idol worship it. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't, commit, don't, don't, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. No false witness and no covet. That's, that's the Ten Commandments right there. And you can look at these lists of commandments and go, wow, these are just a whole bunch of rules. A whole bunch of rules. These do not seem much fun at all. What is God doing? Is he enslaving them again? But I think if we look closely at these commandments and remember, the, remember who it is who is giving them, we will see that it's not just about, just about keeping individual rules, but rather this is God forming and creating for himself a people. This is what his people have to look like and how they relate to him and to others. And these, these commandments are really God saying, this is the path to life. This is a way to please me and live for me as I created you to be. And you see here the first four commandments are all about how Israel has to relate to God. It's about people and God first up. First four. No God before me. Don't worship idols. Don't misuse God's name. And remember the Sabbath. They're all to do with how Israel and God relate to one another. So Jesus in Matthew 22, when Jesus is speaking about these Ten Commandments, he summarizes these first four commandments by saying this. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He just summarized the first four. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So God starts with Israel's relationship with him because everything else hangs on this. Everything else hangs on their relationship with him. See, God knows what drives true obedience is wholehearted allegiance to him. And rebellion against God all starts with and sin starts with wanting something else or someone more than God. The first command really is the root of all the others. See, whatever matters most to us will determine our behavior and our emotions. Whatever is the God in our life that we worship will, will affect how we behave and live out. The last six commandments, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false witness, don't covet, they're all horizontal. They're all about how we to relate to one another. Again, in, in Jesus says in Matthew 22, he summarizes these by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And if we kept reading through the rest of the book of Exodus, we would read another 52 laws that God is going to put out for Israel. And they're just really f- f- uh, filling out all of these, really filling these out. And these commandments are how Israel are to live as God's people. These laws are about Israel's worship, about their social justice, and how they are to live together as a people. And God is trying to shape here a nation that is on about justice and generosity and be different to the other nations around them. God wants other nations to look at Israel and go, wow, I want to be like them. I want to be part of that kingdom. Look at how they love God. Look at how they love each other. I want to be a part of that. A nation that is on about being fair for all people, being generous, being kind thinking the other person. And Israel to do this reflecting who God is and what He is like as a generous and kind God. They had to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, reflecting God for His glory. Now, I don't know about you, but um, you know, you meet someone or you know someone and you just look at them and you first meet them and go, wow, I wish I was more like them. I wish I was more like that person. Their, their character is so attractive as a person. They're a beautiful person when you meet them. 
They just stand out. You know when you meet someone, they're really comfortable in their own skin, or they're really kind and caring, or they're really thoughtful, they're a good listener, whatever it is. You think, wow, I wish I was more like that person. They are such an attractive person. And you want to spend more time around them, be more like them. This is what I felt when I first met my wife, Katie. Oh, right, yeah. I know. She's not even here. And I'm, this is what a waste. Just tell her when you see that I said it right. Just, just give me it anyway. And it's one of the reasons why I married her. Because I wanted to spend more time with her. Because she's such a, I think she's such a beautiful person inside and out. And she's the person who is just so comfortable in her own skin that she's so kind and caring. I just want to be around her. And it's funny, sometimes when we go out to the park and um, she'll just get in a conversation with someone and just make a new friend at the park where I'm just like in my own little world, the introverted self, and just trying to hang with my kids. And she's talking to everyone because people want to be around her. She's an attractive person inside and out. People want to be around her. This is what God is trying to craft here with his people. They're an attractive people. The people look at Israel and go, wow, I want to be like them. I want to be near them. I wonder who their king is, who they follow. Israel to be an attractive people for God's glory. A place where all people are valued, all people are cared for. And I think this is what God is calling the church to be as well, today. And all these laws and commandments are God trying to shape his people to be this. I want to say that this king is worth following. Israel are following the Ten Commandments, living in their freedom to be a, a, a nation for God's glory. But also Israel's obedience, these following the Ten Commandments, are also to be for their joy, for the Israelites' joy. See, I think the Ten Commandments are not just describing what it looks like to be a people of God. I think, and I want to argue, that the Ten Commandments are describing what, what humanity is supposed to look like, true humanity, to be like. And by people, I mean, I mean all people. And it's the way that I think humans are to flourish when they follow these. So I want to say, a person who is undivided in love and loyalty to their God and King Creator, and undivided in love and consideration for others, is truly human. I've heard it said this, this way. Imagine in the next 24 hours, you knew or your neighbor told you that they're going to break every single Ten Commandment. Next 24-hour block. Now remember that list, right? Let's look at that list. We're going to break every single one of them. How would you feel? I think you'd feel scared, worried, and thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. They're going to murder me. But you know, like, <laughs> you've got to get out. But just on the flip side, right, let's see this. But how about I told you that there is a city where every single person in that city kept all the Ten Commandments all the time? I think you want to live there. You want to be a part of that. Why? Because I want to say the Ten Commandments are not a list of things forbidden but rather it paints a picture of what it looks like to truly live and truly be human. To be who you truly are. To be who God has created his people to be. Humanity to be. These commandments, Israel's obedience, is for God's glory, but also for their flourishing and for their joys as people. God's people. You know, I wonder when you read the Bible or hear it taught to you or whatever it is, or hear a sermon, and you hear, you hear the Bible taught, and you hear God telling you on how you should live, how you should use your money, how you should do relationships, how you should treat and think of others, what you should live for, what are your priorities are. Do you believe that God is saying that for your flourishing and for your good? Do you believe God's commandments and His laws are for your good? 
Do you believe there's freedom found in following him and how he calls you to live as his treasured possession? Do you trust him when he says that? And I think this gets to the heart of obedience, trust. Do you trust God when he says that obeying me and how to live is for your good and the path to life? Do you trust him when he says that? Because I think, on the, if you think, you flip it around for a second, isn't disobeying him a lack of trust in him and his wisdom? We can say, yep, God, I know you love me. I know who you are, but I think I know better than you on this one. I think I've worked it out. I'm a bit more wise than you are. We don't say that, but really deep down, that's what we're saying by our disobedience. A lack of trust in God's wisdom as our king creator. That's what disobedience is. Now, it's funny, in, in, if you keep reading, we'll, we'll see in a few weeks' time. Israel, they, they, God has rescued them. And then while, God is, while Moses sorry, is on the, on the mountain, Mount Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments off God, he spends there for 40 days. And while, they are up, while Moses is up there, Israel gets impatient. So they get all the gold they can find, chuck it in the fire and ask Moses, Aaron, Moses' brother, to craft for them a golden cow to worship and call that their God. Look, it's what, three months in God parted a Red Sea. Three months in God sent plagues to rescue from slavery. In three months' time, they've got a cow a golden cow, and they're bowing down and worshipping it, saying, you are the God who rescued us. And you read that and go, oh, what idiots, how stupid are these guys? Like, are they the dumbest people in the whole world? Like, this seems so stupid. After all God has done for them, don't they trust him? Don't they trust what, what he, that he is good and he's after their joy? See, the beauty of the Bible is, I think it flips it around on us, doesn't it? When we disobey God, say, God, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to go this way. Aren't we just similar to Israel? We think all that God has done for us in Jesus, giving us his one and only son. And we say, God, don't trust you on this one. I've got this one. Are we that dissimilar to Israel? I want to encourage us that God's word and his call for obedience is for his glory and our joy. He loves us as a heavenly dad. We are his loved children. And he wants us to flourish as his people. We are made in his image. And his word and commandments are the path to life. He loves us so much that he sent his son. He's done the greatest thing giving us his son. He'll give us all things, Romans says. He wants what's best for us. So when he says to us, love your enemies. When he says to us, forgive those people. When he says, work hard at work. When he says, don't be dishonest. dishonest. When he says to us, use your sexuality this way. When he says to us, prioritize coming to church to love others. When he says to us, tell others about me. When he says, meet with me in my word, draw near in my word. He's saying these things as a loving dad who wants you to flourish as a human for your joy and for his glory. I want to encourage you to trust God in his word even when it doesn't make sense to you, even when it means going against the water around you, even when it means going against your own feelings. Trust God over your own heart, I'd say, and what you want to do. It's like my kids, right? If I let my kids, they would eat junk food 24-7, they would watch TV for hours and hours and hours, they'd play computer games, and they wouldn't shower. (laughs) They'd stink as they did it. But as parents, my wife and I, we know what's best for them as, as loving, wiser pair of, uh, adults. 
So we guide them, put boundaries and rules around them for their flourishing. Not because we hate them, because we love them. And we want what's best for them. And they can trust us that we are for their good and on their side. I think this is the exact same with God, our King and Creator, who has made us and the world we live in. I want to urge you, when God calls you to live for Him in His ways, He's saying that because He wants you to flourish. I want to, I want to encourage you to trust Him and obey Him for, your, for His glory, but also for your joy. So Israel received these Ten Commandments from a God from God, plus a bunch of other laws, how to live out their freedom in this world. But we know obedience and following is hard. And so, as I said, it doesn't take long before Israel really stray off and they rebel against God and His ways. And really, the rest of the Bible is really watching Israel just disobey again and again and again and again. <clears throat> and they sin, and like us, we have hearts that are prone to wander and to rebel against the good God. And so what do we do? If God's calling us to obey, to live for Him, and we just can't, what, what do we do then? Do we just live a, a life of frustration? Will we know He's disappointed with us? What is it? So what's the answer? Well, as always in church, the answer is always Jesus. I want to show you something really cool here about Jesus, though. I hope you can track with me on this to show that how Jesus is the answer on so many levels. It's my final point. Jesus is, both the, is the model of obedience. He's the power to obey, and he is the savior. I want to show you this. this is, I think this is pretty, pretty cool. You see, Israel couldn't obey. They couldn't do what God asked them to do. And it's funny, even at the end of Deuteronomy, after the, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Moses is about to die, and he's with Israel, and he's just frustrated with them. And he calls them to obey, and he says, look, I'm, I'm about to die. Please, can you just obey God? But I know you can't. It's not very encouraging, is it? But I know you can't. I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to fall again. So Moses knows that they can't obey because Moses knows deep down they have a heart problem. They, they can't obey. They have a heart of stone. They just can't obey God. And as I said, the rest of the Old Testament is them just rebelling and going against God and all the consequences play out. And you read the rest of the Bible, the book of Judges, it's crazy. How disobedience just leads to their, their downfall hugely. And they just can't obey it. They have a heart problem. But if you keep reading the Bible, you get to the prophets, and you get a book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, and God speaks of, uh, gives a hope. And he says in Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, of a future day where God will give his people new hearts, a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, and giving them a new spirit, a spirit that will cause them to obey. Then you read Isaiah, and you read of a king coming who will lead his people into obedience. And show them how to live and following him. And the king arrives, and that king is Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, Humanity has a heart problem. We can't obey, we can't follow, it's made to. And you read Jesus and he redefines the Ten Commandments. You read this story in Matthew 22 where Jesus is surrounded by the Pharisees, teach, religious teachers who are against him. And they try and trick him and they say, Jesus, what's the greatest command? Just summarize one for me trying to trick him and trying to corner him. And he says, look, he says in 22, 36, 39, I'll be on the screen behind me in a sec. Uh, he says that, I'm going to summarize them for you. It's to love God and to love others. Do those things. Love God and love others. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about and God's laws are about. Loving him first, then loving others. 
And if you look at Jesus' life, he does that all the time. He always loves God the Father and always loves others all the time. He is the model of obedience. He is the model of living out what it means to be a human, as a flourishing human, following God and obeying as he was made. And he's the one who leads us into obedience, to the one we're whom we're to be like, following all of God's laws, all of God's commandments all the time. He is true humanity. He's the true human. And we see in Jesus that his obedience is not just simply about doing rules or keeping laws. It's about our inward obedience. It's about the heart. This is what Jesus has a huge go at, the religious leaders. They would have thousands of laws and keep them to the letter of the law, but their hearts were far from God. And Jesus clashes with them over that because their hearts are far from him. Instead, Jesus teaches that obedience is an inward attitude of the heart. That's the desire. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus comes and he teaches that obedience is not about the outward, but the heart's intentions. And he says this, he says, um, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say that anyone who has anger in their heart has already committed murder. He's saying, it's not about the murder, it's about the intention starts in the heart first. Same thing with adultery. He said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, do not harbor lust in your heart. And Jesus is getting to the root cause rather than the outward, uh, outward issue. It's about the heart. And we see Jesus being the model of how to live for God, how to obey, being true humanity. And he's saying obedience is a heart issue. And Jesus knows that we have a heart issue and we are prone to rebel and prone to wander and we are prone to sin. So what does Jesus do? Well, he goes to the cross. And in the ultimate act of loving your enemy, Jesus dies on the cross pay for our sin and rebellion, to set us free to be who we were made to be, free to love God and to love others. And on the cross, this amazing swap takes place. Jesus dies on the cross. And we, as, as sinful human beings, Jesus gets our sin, gets our rebellion. What do we get? We get his perfect life, his perfect record, his perfect righteousness. It all comes to us through a free gift of grace. And now those who trust in Jesus become right through Jesus' substitutionary death for us. So Jesus shows us how to, how to obey, and he pays for our disobedience as our Savior. And then finally, he gives us the, the ability, to, the, the power to obey. When Jesus rises from the dead, he says to his followers there, he says that he would send the Holy Spirit to transform their hearts so they too could love God and love others as they were called to do. And so now as followers of Jesus, we have new hearts, hearts that are spirit-filled, spirit-empowered to do and to obey as we're called to do. So Jesus is the model, the saviour, and the power. And God knows that we are a work in progress. He knows that even though we have the Holy Spirit, we still sin. And we fall and we disobey. And that's why we have a saviour who died once and for all. Jesus says, I've cleansed you once and for all. Sins past, present, future are paid for in full. So we know we're a work in progress, but we have grace upon grace in Jesus. And now we can obey. We have the Holy Spirit. We are spirit-empowered to love God and to love others and be who God has called us to be, to flourish as humans following His law and commandments, which is the path to life. We are to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, living for God's glory and our joy and showing others what it's like 
to be free to live for our King and to be human. As I said, we all find obedience hard and it's humbling to surrender your life to God and say, you're in control, I'm not. You're the King, I'm not. That's who Jesus calls us to be. If we are to follow, we follow. Follow as Jesus, follow. I want to encourage us to finish up. Let us not be people who believe the lie that freedom is found in doing what I want to do when I want to do it with no reference to anyone else. Instead, let's listen to the one who made us, who loves us, who created us, and let him rule. Let's trust him and look to him knowing that we have been called to be his treasured possession, to be a kingdom of priests, showing the world around us there is a better way. Let's obey Jesus for his glory and our joy being truly human, flourishing humans. And remember that there is grace when we fall. There is mercy when we fail. But we are spirit-empowered people living for a better kingdom, showing the world there's a better way. Be at churches like that. Let me pray for us. Father, we find obedience hard. We do not like to be told how to live. Father, there is still sin and a rebellious heart in us. We want to thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is in us, changing us day by day by day. Lord, forgive us when we fall. Lord, show us again your goodness, your love, your grace. Help us to see you as our Savior. We read in Psalm 25, the psalmist cry out, show me your truth. Guide me in the way of life. Teach me your ways. Lord, we, we long for that. We want to pray that we would not listen to ourselves or our feelings or what we want to do. Rather, we look up to our King and our Creator who loves us deeply, who wants what's best for us. Help us to trust you that you want what's best for us. I want to pray for us, uh, those of us who, are, who have felt this rebellion and we, are, we feel ashamed. We want to thank you so much. There is no shame in the cross. You have taken it all away. All guilt has been paid. We want to thank you so much. Tomorrow is a new day. In Lamentations 3.23, you say your mercies are a new each morning. Every day is a do-over. Every day is a new, fresh beginning. We want to pray and ask for our souls that tomorrow as we begin again, there will be people who live for you and trust you that your way is good. Lord, help us as spirit-filled, empowered people to be people who are on about being a light to our city. Help us to truly be the name of this church. Help us to be a people who are marked by generosity who are marked by justice, who are concerned for those who have no voice. Well, it helps to think deeply on these things. Help us not just to hear this now and walk out and go about our weeks. We don't want to be just merely hearers of the words, but doers of the word. So Lord, by your spirit, convict us now, we ask. Help us to hear your voice now. And empower us to do so, we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.